amazing. Yes, uh, the staff was out there on uh, Wednesday, and we did some incredible sighting that I'm sure will last um, for at least a couple of weeks. Um, uh, but no, it was great, and we had a good time. And, and, and like I always say, is this on? Can you hear me? All right, good. Um, let's see here. What are we doing? We need kids. Do we have any kids here? Okay, we got a few kids. Miss Kristen is right there, so if you want to head on back um, and be with the uh, be with Miss Kristen and her friends, please do so. Uh, do so now. All right, they're headed back. We're going to take another look today at Galatians. We have this week and next week, and then we're. Um, if you are curious as to what we're going to be doing in the fall, starting on August sixteenth, our our. We do have kids here. Uh, starting on August 16th, uh, we're going to start our, um, our new series. It's going to be on the parables. So uh, if you like parables, or even if you don't, uh, that's what we're doing. So, um, and that's going to take us up right through to until Advent. So we are excited about that. All right, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26 is what we'll be looking at today. So I invite you to listen to these words by Paul. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. The summer is drawing to an end. For many, school is beginning, vacations are finishing up. And yet, Lord, we have space even now, before we get into the hustle and bustle of fall, to rest before you, to focus upon you, to meditate upon you, and to ask What would you have to say to us? We pray, God, that you would help us to continue to live into all that we have learned over this summer. That we would not forget the people of grace that you have called us to be. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, well, you know, I mentioned to you all several times now, I am sure that I have a, a fair aversion to doing any kind of yard work. And the reasoning is not, you know, it's not just because I don't like the heat. It's not just because uh, I don't really um, enjoy getting my hands dirty. It's not just because I'm lazy. It is all of those things, but it is more than that as well. And one of those things is because of the fact that when I was growing up, uh, yard work was always punishment. 
Um, it was always used to punish us. And so, um, so this week, this actual week, I was just outside and I was pulling weeds, right? Um, and I had almost this kind of PTSD event as I was like remembering back to, 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 my, to my childhood, right? And one of the things, first of all, that's just amazing. This is a complete aside, but isn't it amazing how quickly and how large weeds can grow? I mean, if you leave them just three or four months, it is amazing. <laughs> I mean, those things grow, it's like actual trunk. I mean, it's impressive. So anyway, so I'm out there and I'm trying to pull, realizing that's gonna take more than, I'm gonna have to bring in a tractor of some sort to get these weeds out. And, and I was remembering, like I said, of always being punished when I was a child by having to pull weeds. And especially when we lived in Guam. When we lived in Guam, in our backyard, we had these clotheslines. And underneath those clotheslines were all these white kind of jagged rocks. And of course, what loved to grow up through those white jagged rocks were weeds. Exactly. And so, uh, and so whenever we got in trouble, right, um, if it was a small infraction, right, rather than spending 15 minutes in time out, we got to spend 15 minutes... Pulling weeds, that's exactly right. For larger infractions, you know, it worked up to about an hour or so. And so, um, I know, it's abuse. And so, um, so we would go out there, right? And this was just, it was horrible. And I absolutely hated it. I mean, it was Guam, so it was always hot. Uh, and you would, you would go and, you, you know, your back would start hurting after pulling weeds, you know. And then you'd try to sit down, but then the jagged rocks would be boring into your legs. And, I mean, it was just, it was brutal. But my, you know, my parents loved it, of course. And there always seemed to be some kind of correlation between, it always felt like we were getting more in trouble when the weeds were really getting out of hand than at other times. But I'm sure that was just complete coincidence. And so we were there and we'd lived there for about two years and our time was coming up, right? And, and, and so when you're in the military uh, and we were living on a military base, you always had to make sure that everything was spick and span, especially before you left. Because if not, then your father, uh, if, if it was your father that was in the military, would get in trouble. And so, you know, that was, um, you didn't want that. And so, so, so we were coming to an end of our time and, and my, my sister and I must have known what was going to happen, but, but we, were, we were very well behaved towards the end of this time because we knew that there were a lot of weeds out there and we knew, right? So we were like in public. Public, we're like hugging each other and looking at each other. And, you know, I mean, it's just clear, you know, we love each other. And so, uh, and so finally, though, we only had a few more days, as I recall, before we were going to have to leave. And so my mom and dad said, look, Sherry, Jerry, you guys, you got to go out and pull the weeds. And they must have seen this kind of horrified look on our faces, uh, this expression. And they said, oh, no, no, it's not punishment. You guys haven't done anything wrong. We're doing it out of love for the family. To which I thought, I don't love this family quite that much. (laughs) And so I was distraught. I mean, this was kind of a justice issue for me, right? And so I said to them, and I made this very impassioned kind of speech about the reality. Well, there's no way. We see what you're doing is there's this clear line between punishment and love. And if you are kind of muddying up this line, then how am I ever supposed to know what is punishment and what is love? And if you do that, I'm going to, it's going to, my little prepubescent mind can't understand how these things can be the same thing. And so everything's going to blow up. And if you do this, you do realize that I'm going to have to have years of counseling and therapy. And at some point, some 32 years later even, I'm going to stand up in front of a bunch of people and talk about how distressful this was to me. And they were great parents, and they looked at us, and they smiled, and they said, I understand. Now go out and pull the weeds, right? Which is what we did, but 
But what I knew then as a child, right, and what I even know now as an adult is that for children, it is important, I think, to have clear, defined lines, right? It's, it's helpful for us as we're growing up to kind of know. Uh, it gives us safety and security. It helps us to understand the world when you have very clear, defined lines, But what my parents understood, what I would come to understand, is that when you're an adult, you realize that those lines are not always as clear and defined. That sometimes those lines can be a little muddied. We don't always like it as adults, but we begin to understand that a little bit more. And in a lot of ways, that's exactly what's been happening when it comes to our look at the letter to the Galatians. Grace, as we've mentioned, is a little bit fuzzy at times and sometimes more fuzzy than we are comfortable with. And so there are people in Galatia who were saying, it doesn't need to be as fuzzy as it may feel to you. Here are some clear lines they are saying. This is very clear cut, no pun intended. And so they began to show, right, this is how you can know for sure where you are, whether you are saved or not not, whether you are justified or not, whether you are loved or not, is if you begin doing things like circumcision and other things. But what they didn't quite understand is, of course, is that, and we talked about this just last week, is that when you start making it grace plus one, right, then someone else is going to feel insecure, so they're going to make it grace plus two, and then grace plus three, grace plus four, until you have all of these very clear lines that may feel good at first, but eventually you begin to see that these lines are not lines at all. They are actually bars. They are prison bars that you have set all around you, keeping you from actually living within the freedom of grace as Paul talked about just last week. So Paul has been saying, no, you can't, even though it may seem fuzzy. The question is, do you believe in grace and grace alone? So then, if we don't want to live our lives simply being imprisoned by all of these lines, the question then is, how then do we live, right? We've talked about this over the last two or three weeks. How then do we live by grace? So Paul tells us, Paul tells us that we are supposed to live by the Spirit rather than trying to gratify the desires of the flesh, Now, that's a little bit kind of difficult for us, partly because of the English language and partly because we have been very highly influenced by Greek culture. And what I mean by that is, oftentimes we get a sense, just we've learned this from the Greeks, that that, that the flesh means anything that is material. And usually the Greeks said that that was always bad. These are bad things. Anything that's material, whether it's your hand or this pulpit or whatever else, that it's bad. And anything up in the spirit, anything that's not material, that's good, right? And that's what you should be, what you, what we should be hoping for, right? And that's kind of distorted a lot of Christianity. I would say even our understanding of the end times, but that's a sermon that, that will be preached at a, at a later date, right? Probably last Sunday of my time here, something like that one way or the other so everything flesh right is oftentimes what we understand as being flesh but but that's not really what's happening what Paul talks about when he talks about flesh and living by the desires of the flesh are those parts of us that haven't completely been crucified yet those parts of us that have not yet been fully renewed by the spirit Paul understands, and what we believe as Presbyterians is, that, is that, that, that we will never reach a point before Jesus returns where we will be completely crucified by and large. There will always be parts of us, right, that aren't quite coming underneath the renewal of the Spirit. 
And Paul says there's a battle between the Holy Spirit and between and the desires of our flesh. So what does that mean? What does it mean, the desires of the flesh? Well, one of the things that I was kind of thought through a little bit this week as I was doing some reading is the fact that usually when we think of the desires of the flesh, we simply think about bad desires. This must be the bad things that we think about doing or that we do. And Tim Keller points out that that's not actually what's happening here. Really, the word for desires of the flesh, more aptly interpreted is the over-desires, the inordinate desires that we have. In other words, these are desires and overt desires that actually are good desires in and of themselves at first. However, we begin to overly desire them. Okay, so let me give you an example, right? This isn't even listed here, but we talk, it's talked about in other parts of the New Testament. Let's talk about food. Who here likes food? Right? Exactly, right? Food's amazing, right? And so I, when we go on vacation, I was thinking about this. Maybe you guys are like me. When we go on vacation, we think a fair amount about food. And usually when we go on vacation, we go to places, you know, our vacations are never that exciting, right? It's not Disney World. We go to grandma's, you know, or we, you know, we oftentimes we're going back to places we've lived, right? But whenever we go back to those places, we always know where, it's, it's like the first part of the schedule, right? Not sleep or not, hey, we're going to see these friends. It's when are we going to eat here, right? So that when we go to Kansas City, we always go to the Classic Cup because they have great breakfast. They have great pancakes. It's Classic Cup in Kansas City. When we go to Chicago, we go to Portillo's because they've got great hot dogs. Oh, yeah, all right. I thought I made a little Chicago. There we go, all right. When we go to San Diego, there's this little kind of hole-in-the-wall convenience store at a gas station of all places where they have amazing fish tacos. When, 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 we, go to, when we go to Grove City, Pennsylvania, there's this place called North Country, and we go there because they have these great pretzels. When we go to Pensacola, Florida to visit my mother, we go to Joe Patty's because they have this great seafood gumbo. I mean, it is amazing, and there's nothing wrong with that. Food is not just given to us to sustain us. Though that's certainly a part of it. It's given to us because there's a beauty to, to, to different parts of the country and different parts of the world and the kind of food that they have. When you're on the coast, you should eat seafood, right? When you're, when you're near Mexico, you should eat Mexican food, right? When you're in Chicago, you should just eat slabs of meat. That's just what you should do, right? So, so there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think that there's beauty to that. The problem, of course, is when you come back home. And you've been in this mode, right, of, of, of desiring. And all of a sudden then, you're there and you're back home. And it's hard. At least it is for me, right? I have, I have so enjoyed this that I continue to enjoy it. And I overly desire this food that I'm eating, right? I'm pulling up a chair up to the bar at, at Golden Corral, you know. I'm doing these things that are awkward and uncomfortable. And before you know it, it begins to misshape me. Right? And it begins, it's not, it's, it's unhealthy. The desire is fine, right? It's a good desire to eat and to eat different types of food. It's all, that's all good. It is when we begin to over-desire, right? And that's everything, really. That's what living by the flesh is, when you begin to over-desire. So that can be money, right? We're, 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 we're a Christian, uh, our part of Christianity has no problem with money, by and large, right? Money can be a great thing. It can be a good thing and do wonderful things. It's when we begin to overly desire money right, or family or relationship, all those kinds of things. They are good, God-given, and yet we can begin to over-desire them, okay? So that's the works of the flesh. So Paul begins to give us a whole kind of litany of works of the flesh, 
right? And so he, 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 he begins, there's, there's several that he, that, that he gives there, licentiousness, um, there's envy, there's jealousy, there's drunkenness. Um, and all of these things, Paul, uh, and this list that Paul gives us, all of these things are destructive to community. Okay? All of these things can be good, right? Sex was given to us by God, but when we begin to over-desire it, that's when we start getting in trouble. Right? Being in relationship with people, that's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. Being in friendship with one another or loving someone, that's great. When you begin to over-desire that, that's when you start seeing jealousy and envy. Right? Drink can be fine. You've got grapes that were given to us for things like wine, right? That's fine. But when we begin to over-desire it, that's when you start seeing destruction. Right? So look at, you know, this is past week. I was talking to a friend who, who's someone in his family who has an over-desire for drink. And so what begins to happen as to their family community whenever they get together? It begins to cause fracturing and disruption. All of us know relationships that we've seen where one person, for one reason or another, was overly desirous of being in that relationship with someone else. And inevitably that ends up kind of destroying the relationship and even beyond that into other parts of the community. Churches, far too many churches have been destroyed by the reality that of people, oftentimes pastors, who have an over-desire for sex. And it has destroyed the church. So all of these things end up destroying the community. I mean, think about these people of Galatia, the people who moved into Galatia. They came in, they had a desire for safety and security, to know for sure that they were saved. So they came in and they said, hey, you know what? They, they, weren't, they weren't satisfied with simply the desire for safety and security, the desire for grace. They said, no, it has to be more than that. It has to be that and something else, right? The desire was fine, but they wanted an over-desire. So they wanted more rules, more lines. And because of that, as Paul saw, the whole community began to fracture. The works of the flesh are those things, those over-desires that end up dividing and splitting relationships and community. That make sense? Okay. So then what is the antidote to the works of the flesh? There we go. Someone said it. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, if, 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 if the works of the flesh destroy community, then what do the fruit of the Spirit do? They build community up. Exactly, right? And this is different than the gifts of the Spirit, right? Because the gifts of the Spirit, right, those are things like, you know, preaching or, or teaching or, or speaking in tongues, right? Those are oftentimes for more specific people or for groups. But the fruit of the Spirit are for Everyone, you are not off the hook, right? You can't say, well, this person over here has got gentleness, and so I don't have to. Or that person over there, he's clearly gifted with joy, therefore I don't have to have it. No, right? And so one of the other interesting things is it's not actually fruits of the Spirit. It is fruit, right, which is kind of odd, and there's lots of theories as to why that is. But the theory that I like the most is simply that, it's because it kind of lends to what the definition or the point of the fruit of the Spirit, which is the oneness, right? One fruit, because it's supposed to build one community. So how do we cultivate not the works of the flesh and our over-desires, but the fruit of the Spirit? 
well, this is not easy. First of all, Paul, with great intentionality, uses the imagery of fruit because guess what takes a long time to develop? Fruit, right? Fruit takes a while to develop. So the good news is if you feel like, well, I feel like I haven't made much progress, well, that's kind of fruit, right? I mean, you can't just kind of, you know, think one moment, come on, let's go tomato. Is tomato really a fruit? I think it is. But anyways, I keep going back and forth on that, and I keep wanting to say it, but I think, isn't it a fruit? Nice, right? Or I could pick something else, right? Apple, right? Grape. And it won't just appear, right? It doesn't happen overnight. So it takes a while. It is a gradual process. So have grace on yourself if it seems like you're wrestling with it. But the other thing about it is that you can't just kind of will a tomato or a grape, right? Or, or, or an apple or an orange, right? You can't just say, come on, orange, you can do this. Become an orange, right? It doesn't happen. And in the same way, the fruit of the Spirit won't just come by you trying to will it, right? You can't just kind of be like, you know, come on, I'm going to be joyful today. I am going to be so joyful. This is going to be amazing how much joy I have. It doesn't work for most of us. No, it happens, right, as someone has pointed out, it happens more as we begin to kind of more organically as we focus more and more on Christ, Right? When I was kind of growing up, and, and, and even in my young adulthood, I always thought that if I could kind of will it, and, and if I felt guilty enough about something, then everything would change. If I felt guilty enough about the works of the flesh, if I felt guilty enough that I wasn't being patient enough, then I could kind of just eventually, out of that guilt, all of a sudden good things would start happening, and it never worked. But if we can begin to rather than just try to feel guilty or will it to begin to worship God more, if we can begin to center ourselves more around Christ, then we will begin to see that some of these works of the flesh will begin to fade, right? Someone gives this quote that says, We must worship Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit, adoring him until our hearts find him more beautiful than the object we felt we had to have. So through worshiping God, our desire for God begins to grow. And hopefully, as we continue to do this, it begins to grow larger than these other over-desires that we had. But one of the important things that we have talked about, I've beaten this drum again and again and again, is that our worship has to include more than just what happens here. Right? Because that won't be enough. He talks about walking, or excuse me, he talks about living by the Spirit, Paul does. And literally what that is, is walking by the Spirit. And there's a sense of almost daily kind of walking with the Spirit. And we have to be able to worship Christ throughout the week, not just today. When I began the the series in Galatians, I talked about sprinklers. I don't know if any of you remember this. We had to buy a sprinkler, right? Some of you remember. These are the only things that some of you remember from the sermons I preached, which is really not your fault. It's mine, right? So, so, so sprinklers, right? When we had to decide whether to get a a, a or a right. Okay, good. So. The reason why we had to get the sprinkler was because of the fact that this tractor or something large had driven across our yard, right? About, about 15 feet of our yard, right? It gets longer and longer every time I tell the story uh, of our yard, right? And the, gra- the ground was wet and so literally like six inch divots, right? And so um, uh, uh, I was not very joyful about that, I have to be honest. And so, so, so they came in, they put some dirt. They're like, oh, it should be fine. We'll just put dirt here. Well, yeah, because that, that's really going to fix it. Anyway, so... 
So then well, I had to put in some grass seed, right? I didn't even really know what grass seed was. I was like, there's something in the bag, and it's just going to make grass? Well, this, is, this is genius, right? So I put the grass seed in. But, of course, then it said that, that what do you have to do to make sure that the, that the grass grows? What do you have to do daily? You have to water it, right? And so that's why we bought the aforementioned sprinkler. And so I bought the sprinkler, right? We had gotten a hose last summer. I don't remember why we needed the hose, but we got in the hose for some reason. And, um, and, so, and so we hooked it all up, right? And so I, I sprinkled it daily, right? For at least two or three days. I literally, I think it was actually just two days, right? Right, and this was back in early June. This was before the rains began. And so guess what didn't grow? You guys are better than me at this. Exactly. The grass didn't grow. And the reality is that oftentimes, right, we're not spending time throughout the week kind of focusing on Jesus, right? And then we wonder why in the world our spiritual fruit seems so shriveled and unappealing. The tomatoes don't look good. The joy doesn't look that great. Our patience doesn't seem to be that great. Our, our gentleness seems to not really be flourishing right now. Self-control seems to be kind of going by the wayside. And the reality is, of course it is. And it will not start to really begin to develop until we are willing daily to begin focusing on Christ. And that looks different for everyone. For some, it looks like reading the scripture a lot. For some, it means singing. For some, it may mean meditating or, or doing service for the Lord. It can be lots of different things. I'm not going to tell you what it means for you. That's legalism. But I will tell you that if you are not spending time thinking about Christ and wondering where God is at work and reflecting on him, we shouldn't be surprised that these spiritual fruits are not growing all that much. The final thing that I want to mention that's, of course, very helpful, and I talked about this several months ago now, is that in order for these fruit to really grow, we need to be in community with people, oftentimes people who annoy us. Oftentimes people with whom we disagree, right? I mean, here's the, here's the reality, right? If, if people do things as fast as I want to do them, I don't ever have to worry about having patience, right? I mean, when I go to the Starbucks there on Oak Street, if every time I drove up to the window, they had my chai sitting out there, guess what? I would never be impatient with them. How many times has that happened? Zero. And so every time I'm there, I have to think about patience, right? And so every time if you're with somebody, right, who you feel like is not being very kind and it's difficult, you feel senses of I do not want to be kind to this person, that is a great opportunity for you to say, how am I living with the fruit of the Spirit, right? And if everybody is doing things so that you never have to worry about self-control or love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or gentleness, then those fruit will not develop very well. We have one more week of Galatians. And as I was thinking about this particular passage, and I was thinking even, even larger about grace and about what I'm hoping for us as a people here at ZPC to have learned as we have kind of gone through this remarkable letter. I came across a description of a second century church. Uh, I, I was doing some reading in a book. It had nothing to do with the sermon. I was trying to think about something else that we were doing in the future. And, and I came across this quote. Now, the second century church, you probably know this, it was not a church where things were real easy for them. Right? They were constantly being ridiculed. Uh, there were always these false rumors going around about who these Jesus followers were. They were being persecuted, killed even. 
And, and so someone, um, and his name is Athenagoras, I think, something like that. I told the first service that if we would have had a boy, that's exactly what we would have named him. Athenagoras. He wrote a letter. And he wrote a letter to somebody else. And he said, and in the letter he described what the church, or at least the, the Christians that he knew, what they looked like. And I, I, so I'm going to read that to you. I want, I want you, to, I want you to, to hear these words. Athenagoras says, the difference between Christians and the rest of mankind is not a matter of nationality or language or customs. Christians do not live in separate cities of their own, speak any special dialect, nor practice any eccentric way of life. They pass their lives in whatever township, Greek or foreign, each man's lot has determined. These are regular people, in other words. Conform to ordinary local usage in their clothing, diet, and other habits. Nevertheless, the organization of their community does exhibit some features that are remarkable and even surprising. For instance, though they are residents at home in their own countries, their behavior there is more like transients. Though destiny has placed them here in the flesh, they do not live after the flesh. Sound familiar? Their days are passed on earth, but their citizenship is above in the heavens. They obey the prescribed laws, but in their own private lives, they transcend the laws. They show love to all men, and all men persecute them. They are misunderstood and condemned. Yet by suffering death, they are quickened into life. They are poor, yet making many rich, lacking all things, yet having all things in abundance. They repay curses with blessings and abuse with courtesy. For the good they do, they suffer stripes as evil doers. As I read that description of the second century church, I realized that this is the church to which Paul is talking about when it comes to the Galatians. That this is exactly what Paul was desirous of. Remember, this is a church that had no power, no authority, no rights, was being persecuted, was being killed, and yet in spite of that, they were loving and they were being graceful and they were being patient and they were being generous and they were abundant with the fruit of the Spirit. And because of that, despite the fact that they had no power and no authority, despite the fact that people were being killed, guess what was happening in the church? It was exploding. And more and more people were meeting Jesus. The reason why it seems to me that this is so important for the church universal today, but especially, let's say, for ZPC, because that's where we are, is because I want you to know that I have no concern when it comes to ZPC. I do not care if we have power or if we have authority or if we have rights. That will never be my main concern. My main concern is that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what power or authority we may have or may not have, that our main concern is being a people of grace and love. That no matter what may come our way, that we will always be a people who are most concerned with how it is that we are loving people, that we are being graceful with them, that we are being generous and gentle and patient and kind and joyful. I don't care about being like the church down this street or down that street. I want to be like the church in the second century. 
And I want to be like the church that Paul is describing to the Galatians. And I want you to know that the same spiritual blood that coursed through the second generation church is the same, the second century church is the same spiritual blood that flows through you. So let us live up to that. Let us be raised up to full stature of the church of our spiritual mothers and fathers that we see in the second century that said we will return anything with love and with grace and with Jesus. Because if we can do that, then I assure you that Jesus will use us as he did the second century church in ways beyond what any of us could have imagined. A people of grace. If it wasn't important, Paul wouldn't have talked about it again and again and again. Amen.